Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. This is David Canfield, and I'm recording this in Chicago on Friday, October 27th, 2023. And in this edition of the podcast, I want to come back to the topic of the reward and discipline of the believers in the coming age, the millennium. And I began to cover this a few uh, programs ago, and I'll link to that in the description below. In the previous program, I basically dealt with the direct verses in the New Testament that talk about this matter and show us that as the believers in Christ, it's not simply the case that our sins are forgiven and therefore there can never be any problem between us and the Lord. Instead, there's many verses in the New Testament that show us we may face a serious discipline from the Lord for the 1,000 years of his millennial reign on the earth before all the believers are brought back together to be blessed for eternity together with the Lord. So now in this program, what I want to do is go on and look at some of the types that you see in the New Testament and the parables the Lord tells that touch upon this matter. That's what we'll be focusing on in this program. But I want to begin by speaking something of an introductory word. You know, the purpose in sharing this is to help Christians realize we need to be so much more serious about our Christian life. We're, we're so loose and so casual, and a lot of that has to do because in terms of salvation, we only hear today, almost all the time, the side of the free gift of salvation and the assurance of the forgiveness of my sins that I'll be with the Lord for eternity. And that's a wonderful, wonderful truth and assurance we can have in the New Testament. But we never hear the side about our responsibility and how we will go to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account to the Lord for how we lived our Christian life. And it's only when you see both sides of this matter that you can have a proper view of how salvation really works. And as I say, it's a very sober, very serious matter. But, but again, the reason to share this is to help Christians be more serious about our Christian life. What I don't want to do is to cause believers to feel condemned and to feel, oh, well, I can never make it. I can never reach that standard of being an overcomer, overcoming believer. So I want to give a little word of encouragement here at the beginning to say that eventually, as a matter of fact, you are going to be an overcomer. Praise the Lord for that. If you are a believer in Christ, you are going to be an overcomer. Revelation chapter 21 Verse 7 is very clear about this. This is after all the opposition to God's rule on the earth has finally been dealt with in the New Jerusalem, and the New Jerusalem is coming down to the earth. Then beginning in Revelation 21, verse 5, it says, He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, They have come to pass. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to him who thirsts from the spring of the water of life freely. And here's verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be God to him, and he will be a son to me. So in eternity, in this eternal state, in the New Jerusalem, every believer will be an overcomer. We have to be an overcomer to inherit these things. The verses in the New Testament that relate to the reward and discipline of the believers relate to the millennial reign of Christ, the 1,000-year period when Christ will be reigning on this present earth. 
And there are particular rewards during that period for the believers who overcome in this present age. But eventually, whether you overcome in this age or whether you overcome in the next age, to enter into eternity and to enjoy the eternal blessings with Christ, you have to be an overcomer and you will be an overcomer. It's not the case. I used to think, okay, if if your sins are forgiven today and you're not an overcomer, then you're defeated and the next age will be something of a discipline for you. But then you'll be brought into eternity based upon the fact that your sins are forgiven. Well, the, the forgiveness of sins is only part of it. That's the basis for our relationship with Christ. But on that basis, based upon the fact that our sins are forgiven, we need to go on and overcome and pass through that same process of death and resurrection that the Lord went through. And that's what enables us to enter into the Lord's presence and to enjoy his presence and all the blessings he wants to give us, whether in the millennium or whether that takes place only in eternity. But eventually, every single believer in Christ is going to go through that process, including you. You are going to go through that process of death and resurrection to become an overcomer in Christ. Hopefully that will be in this age. If that's the case, then the millennium will be a reward for you. And if uh, it's, if not then the millennium will be a period of some kind of discipline. But eventually in eternity, praise the Lord, we will all be overcomers. And this is what the Apostle John also tells us in his first epistle, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. He says, Everything that has been begotten of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory which has overcome the world, our faith. And who is he who overcomes the world except he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So, at least in one respect, we already have overcome the world. And you have already overcome the world, if you're a believer in Christ, because you have believed in the Lord and been saved. In the chapter before that, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, Every spirit which does not confess Jesus is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. And then verse 4 says, You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The whole world wants to keep us from believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. But we have believed in him. And that is a real overcoming that we have already experienced simply because we have believed in the Lord as our Savior. Now we need to go on to have the kind of overcoming that qualifies us to be with the Lord and directly in his presence in the next age. But John makes it clear, we are going to overcome everything that has been begotten of God, overcomes the world. Now, he does not say there that everyone who has been begotten of God overcomes the world. It's everything. What he's saying here, there's a part of our being that has been begotten of God. That's our spirit. John chapter 3, verse 6. Our spirit has been begotten of God. There is an overcoming power within you, saints, that enables you to overcome the world, and that guarantees eventually you will be an overcomer. You have the overcoming one living within you. And praise the Lord, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But again, it's a question of when, whether it's in this age or whether it's in the next age that we overcome. But we will overcome. Thank the Lord for that. Now, I also want to say here that one reason, I think, why this teaching is not more common among believers in Christ is that the New Testament says very little about how the defeated believers will be disciplined in the coming age. 
uh, D.M. Panton, in his book, The Judgment Seat of Christ, as I've been talking about, this is a very good resource uh, if you want to study this topic, The Judgment Seat of Christ. Again, I'll link to that below. He has a very good statement about this on page 76. He says, God has shrouded the temporary fate of the excluded in impenetrable mystery, but the fact of exclusion remains. In other words, what we see more clearly in the New Testament is the fact that some believers, the defeated believers, will be excluded from the reign of Christ, and that's probably the same thing, you can't be sure, probably the same thing as saying being excluded from the wedding feast. So we know that much, but the fate of those, what they will be doing during that time, the New Testament says very, very little about that. Now, you do have some hints of the kind of discipline these believers may face, and Mr. Panton brings out some of these possibilities on that, in his book on that same page, page 76. Now, he feels, and I think this is for the most part what I would agree with, but again, it's, it's mysterious. It's not spelled out too clearly that some believers may be outside of the wedding feast but beholding it, or they may even still be in Hades at that time. But his feeling is that in either, either case, with these excluded believers, it will still be a very pleasant time for them. They'll just miss the top enjoyment of the reward of the wedding feast. But they'll still be in a much, much more pleasant situation than they are today. But then you have some, and this is what it talks about in Matthew uh, 25 and elsewhere in Matthew, uh, some will be cast into the outer darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's a, that's a more serious punishment. And from what I can see in the New Testament, it seems that is especially for those believers who were gifted by the Lord and who did not use their gifts in an appropriate way to make a return for the Lord. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on in this uh, podcast, probably. That's a more uh, serious degree of punishment. And then, you, then even more serious than that, you have some believers who may experience something of the second death for a period of time. Not necessarily for the whole thousand years, but at least for a period of time. Uh, Mr. Panton quotes uh, Luke twelve four, where the Lord says to his friends, he says, I say unto you, my friends, I warn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say unto you, fear him. So that's a word spoken by the Lord to his friends. It says specifically there, very, very serious warning. And in Matthew 24, when it's talking about the unfaithful slave, it says the master of that slave will come in a day when he does not expect him in an hour which he does not know and will cut him asunder and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. In that place there will be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. So those are the most serious kinds of punishments that a believer may experience in the coming age. Again, a very sober matter. So you have degrees of discipline. For some believers, even if they're not in the wedding feast, it may still be a very pleasant time. Other believers, it may be a much more serious uh, discipline that they'll face. But we, don't, we won't know that until we get to the judgment seat of Christ. This is not a topic that is really spelled out that much in the New Testament. So we're just looking at some hints that the New Testament gives here to indicate that there are degrees of punishment for the defeated believers, just as we know for sure, based on Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, that there are degrees of reward for the overcoming believers. And as I said elsewhere in that verse, what you see is some of the believers, some of the overcomers are sitting upon the thrones. The rest of the overcomers are not on the thrones. They reign under the authority of the ones who sit upon the thrones. But all of those believers are overcomers, but for sure there you do have degrees of reward. 
And I need to say something, too, about those believers who would respond that salvation is all a matter of God's grace. It's just his free gift, and you're saying it's, it's a works righteousness. Well, first of all, I would say, say this. The more you go on following the Lord and seeking to be an overcomer and giving yourself to the Lord, the deeper and fuller appreciation you'll have of the Lord's grace and of how much you need his grace and how everything has to be of his grace. If you only feel grace means that your sins are forgiven and you're going to be a forgiven uh, sinner in heaven praising God for eternity, but nothing about you is really going to be changed, then your, your appreciation of grace will always be very, very shallow. It's when you realize that God just doesn't only deal with my standing. He surely does want to do that and he needs to do that. He has to deal with my standing before him. When you realize that, there's more to it than that, that he also wants to do an inward work in my being, I tell you, you'll have so much more realization of what grace really is. Uh, so yes, it absolutely is all of grace. And yet it does also depend on our cooperation. And that's a mystery. It is all of God's grace. At the same time, it does require our cooperation as well. Those two sides, you always have to be balanced. I stress this again and again in your understanding of the truth in the New Testament and the whole Bible. If you only stress one side of the truth... You're going to miss the other side, and your understanding will not be balanced. And that's why, in this matter, yes, it's all of God's grace. And at the same time, it does also require our cooperation. And finally, by way of introduction, I do want to deal with one objection that some people have to this teaching, is that they would say, well, this, this is just, you're just talking about purgatory. This is what the Catholics teach. Again, I don't care what other people teach, whether it's Jehovah's Witnesses or Catholics. Look at the New Testament. Let's, let's look at the New Testament for ourselves and see what it actually says. But no, this is not like purgatory for several reasons. First of all, this is not dealing with our sins. It's dealing with our service. Our sins have all been taken care of. That's not the issue. The question is, how do we live our Christian life? Did we produce a profit for the Lord? That's what we're going to be seeing as we go on and look at some of these portions in the New Testament. Our sins have been taken care of. That is, you can never pay the price for your sins. Christ paid the full price for your sins, and that's already been taken care of. Praise the Lord for that. That's what qualifies you to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. If your sins are not taken care of, for sure, you go to the great white throne judgment. As the believers in Christ, we go to the judgment seat of Christ because our sins have been fully taken care of. But there's other things, too. Purgatory, I think there's a lot of superstition about you know how long it lasts, a million years or so. This is a very specific period of time that this discipline will last, at most for 1,000 years, possibly less than that. Uh, again, we, we, the, the New Testament in spelling out the discipline just doesn't tell us too much. And also, there's no, no one can help you when you're in the Lord's discipline. That's between you and Christ. You know, the, the purgatory, you know, they, they used to sell indulgences when the... Uh, as soon as the coin in the coffer sings, the soul from purgatory springs, you know, some, some kind of thing like that. That's nothing like that, you know, in this teaching we have here. This is absolutely a matter of individual responsibility. So, no, it's not like purgatory at all. It does have that same idea that we need to be disciplined by the Lord to be ready to be in the Lord's presence, but still, in some very fundamental ways, very, very different kind of teaching. And there is one other point I want to make here, too, though. I feel the need to stress this teaching today because it is so neglected among Christians. It really needs to be spoken in order to help Christians wake up 
uh, out of their stupor and follow the Lord in a much more serious way than we are in this country. You just you need this kind of sober word. But the point is not really to be an overcomer. The point is to be one who is a follower and a lover of Christ. Now, this is an incentive, this kind of understanding of the reward and discipline of the believers, for sure, that should be a big incentive to help us love and follow the Lord. But if your focus is all on overcoming, 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 you're you're still missing the mark. The real focus of our Christian life should be to love the Lord and to follow him and to serve him. Now, years ago, I, I remember hearing Witness Lee was talking about this with some, I believe it was a sister, and, uh, and she was very concerned about this matter. I think she, this was a new teaching to her. And as I know, many people, many believers, when they first hear this teaching, they become quite concerned about it. Well, not without reason. She was very concerned about it. And she was, was talking with Brother Lee about her concerns. Eventually, he just said to her, Sister, just love the Lord. You'll be okay. And it's really so. Hopefully, this teaching will help us to be more serious, not so much about being an overcomer, but about coming to the Lord and loving him and giving ourselves to him, to serve him and to stand with him for his desire in this age. If we do that, we're going to be fine, saints. Praise the Lord for that. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's what he wants to do. And hopefully, this teaching will spur you on in that regard. But the focus always has to be Christ himself. We come to Christ, we're loving him, we're giving ourselves to him. Then this matter of reward becomes something very positive. We're seeking after the crown, running after the crown. We do need to be warned, but we need to be warned in order to be pointed in the right direction of loving and following and serving Christ. So uh, the rest of this program is going to be, again, fairly sober, but I wanted to speak that kind of introductory word to put it in the right context because, again, I'm concerned some might listen to this and feel condemned or feel it's hopeless. No, it's not hopeless. With the Lord, all things are possible, but we should cast ourselves upon him for his grace and tell him, Lord, help me to be an overcomer. I want to be an overcomer. Above all, Lord, I want to be one who really loves you, who really gives himself to you, to serve you, to stand with you for what you're doing in this present age. Have mercy upon me, Lord. I need your mercy for this, to follow you and to serve you in such a way so I can be rewarded when I go to see you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So that will do it for this segment of the program. When I started this episode, I thought maybe we'd be able to get into both the types and the parables about this matter. But as I'm recording it, I just realized that's going to be too much. So when we come back, we will uh, finish this program by considering the type that we see in the New Testament that relates to this matter. And that is the type of the children of Israel making their journey from the land of Egypt into the good land. I just want to take a minute to remind the listeners that this program is being produced in connection with my website, which is thechristianfaith.org. I hope you'll visit that. I think there's a number of very useful resources on there to help you with your spiritual growth, with your walk with the Lord, and with your serving of the Lord, and to have a view of what God's purpose is. If you want to subscribe to our e-letter, which we send out a couple times a week, just click on the subscribe link there. And if you'd like to contact us, If you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, you can send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org.
So now let's come to the types and the parables that relate to the reward and discipline of the believers in the coming age. And we'll start with the types in the New Testament. And I, I probably should say that the particular type that relates to this matter, because there's one type that I want to talk about, and that has to do with the children of Israel on their journey from the land of Egypt to enter into the good land. But this type is referred to in two different places. One is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and the other is in Hebrews chapter 3. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul, he speaks a very clear word about running the race. And we've already referred to that. But to give the context, let me read those verses. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. The Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So here, again, the Apostle Paul is very concerned that he may be disqualified. But it's not disqualified from salvation. It's disqualified from the prize. And he doesn't say it here, but in the rest of the New Testament, we know that's the prize of reigning with Christ during the millennium. That's the prize he was concerned about losing. And so, again, I would say to those believers who feel that everything is going to be fine, when they see the Lord, maybe you're more spiritual than the Apostle Paul was. But he did not have the assurance that he was going to win the prize. And given the fact that we are probably not more spiritual than Paul, uh, maybe we should not have the assurance either that we're going to win the prize when we see the Lord. Maybe we also need to have the same kind of godly fear that we may not be those who win the prize. And that godly fear will spur us on to seek the Lord more seriously. So then he goes on and he gives an example of what he's talking about in the next chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And as I've mentioned in the, the previous podcast on this topic, all I want to do now is a survey to just to try to give you an impression about how we need to run the race here. So I'm not going to go into these verses in depth, but I'm going to read this. It's a fairly long section, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. And then make a few comments about that. So we get the impression that we should have from these verses that running the race as a believer in Christ is a very, very serious matter, just as it was a very serious matter for the children of Israel to leave the land of Egypt and run the race to enter into the good land in the New Testament. So here's what Paul says about this. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-12. through 12, Continuing his thought from chapter 9 about running the race. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. So Paul here is specifically saying that this example of the children of Israel who came out of Egypt. They had all gone to the Passover. He tells us here, they were all baptized in the cloud, meaning the spiritual baptism, and in water, as he says, the sea here, signifying our 
physical water baptism. For sure, these are examples of genuine believers in Christ, not false believers. But as it says here, as Paul says here, with most of them, God was not well pleased. Very, very serious, very sober word. And so he says, God was not well pleased, for they, their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Do we want to be this kind of believer, saints? I hope not. I hope not. So now going on in verse 7, or continuing with verse 6, rather. These things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters of some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. My goodness, what a sober word. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and were written down for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Okay, so you may see, say that these things refer to false Christians. Not real Christians. But the Apostle Paul says, no, they're examples of us. They're examples of us as the believers in Christ and how we may come under God's judgment if we are not following him in a faithful way in this age. Very, very sober word here. And Paul concludes this section with that warning, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Earlier in the, the book of 1 Corinthians, and I referred to these verses in the last episode on this topic, Paul is talking about how the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Saints, don't be deceived by the false teaching today. That everything's, you, you don't have anything to be concerned about once you're a saved believer. I'm, there's so much evidence, like these verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 10, that show us, no, we absolutely may not inherit the kingdom of God if we live our lives in a careless and loose way in this age. A very, very sober word. Now, on the other hand, the positive aspect of understanding this, these verses in the right way gives us a much stronger assurance regarding the assurance of our salvation. Because we know now, these verses are not talking about how we can lose salvation. Some people falsely, they wrongly apply these verses in that way. See, you can lose your salvation. That's what Paul's saying here. He's not saying that. He's saying we may not win the prize. So when we realize that, then we realize as the believers in Christ, I have a much firmer standing. Because I know regardless of what I do, I can never lose my salvation but I may very well lose the prize. That's what these verses are talking about. So on the one hand, yes, we absolutely need to be warned. And that's what I'm trying to do is to warn my brothers and sisters in Christ about how we are going to face a very real judgment when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But on the other hand, once we see that, then our assurance of the fact that our relationship with God ultimately can never be broken will become much stronger because we'll know how to deal with these verses that some people try to use in a wrong way and apply in a wrong way to claim we can use our salvation. We'll realize, no, that's not talking about losing salvation. It's talking about missing the reward. 
but still a very, very, very serious and sober matter. And now let's look at the corresponding section in Hebrews chapter 3. And it seems like the Holy Spirit has this in the New Testament in two different places as a strong testimony. In the Old Testament, if, you, if someone was going to be put to death, you needed at least two witnesses to do that. And so the, the number two in the Bible relates to the matter of testimony. So you have two different places in the New Testament that refer to this example of the children of Israel as an admonition to us as the believers for how we need to run the race today. So very strong testimony here. So in this passage in Hebrews chapter 3, the writer, and I have the full assurance this is actually the Apostle Paul, but it doesn't quite say that in Hebrews, so we'll we'll just refer to him as the writer of Hebrews. Beginning in verse 7, the writer of Hebrews uh, quotes Psalm 95, verses 7 and 11 to make his point, and he goes on from there. This is Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7 and going to the end of the chapter. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. So that's the end of the quotation from Psalm 95. Then the writer goes on, Beware, brethren. Okay, so now he's applying this to the brothers, not to unbelievers. He's saying, Beware, brethren. You, okay, listen to the type here, and you need to beware because of this type. He says, Beware, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And again in the upcoming verses, the remaining verses in the chapter, he makes it very clear he is applying this type of the children of Israel in the Old Testament to the believers today. Verse 16, For who having heard rebelled? Indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So again, you have this picture of God's children leaving the land of Egypt, which signifies the world in a moral sense. They'd all passed through the sea. They'd all had the Passover. They were all baptized in the cloud and in the water, as the writers, uh, Paul says in Corinthians. And yet, God was not pleased with them, and their corpses fell in the wilderness under his judgment. Very, very serious and sober warning, and there's no question this is talking about us as the believers in Christ and encouraging us and warning us of our need to run the race, to follow Christ today, saints. There's a prize that's set before us. We should not be so loose and so careless in terms of our seeking of Christ. That's the real point of these verses, both in 1 Corinthians and in Hebrews, of this type of the children of Israel leaving Egypt and making their journey into the good land. So again, very, very serious matter. Now, I want to bring in one point here directly from the Old Testament because it relates to 
this uh, picture of the children of Israel leaving Egypt, even though it's not mentioned in the New Testament, but it's, it's quite a picture. And that is in Exodus chapter 12, which of course tells the story of the Passover. And in the Passover, the children of Israel st struck the blood on the doorposts and the lintels of their houses so that the destroying angel would not judge them. But right after the Passover, you had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And here is what God tells Moses about the importance of keeping this feast. Exodus 12, verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses, for whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And in verse 19 he says, For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. Now leaven, all throughout the Bible, every single time it's referred to, including in the New Testament, it refers to things that are, the, that are corrupt, things that are evil. So here you have the picture of the Passover. That's the beginning of our Christian life. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days signifies the entire course of our Christian life. And we need to stay away from things that are corrupt and things that are evil, according to this picture in Exodus. But the important thing to note here is, the one who eats the leaven, according to God's word here, he has to be cut off from the nation of Israel. He gets cut out. And it doesn't matter how much he appeals to the blood. He may say, but wait a minute, wait a minute, I already ate the Passover lamb. We struck the blood. I was in the house. I wasn't judged. Yes, that's right. That's not the judgment here. He was not destroyed by the destroying angel like the firstborn of Egypt were. He was redeemed according to the type. And he may have come out of the land of Egypt with the Israelites. But if he ate unleavened bread, he was cut off from the nation of Israel. And that surely indicates he is not going to enter into the good land. And I think it's important to mention this because so many believers, uh, they have this thought, when I go to see the Lord, all I'm going to say, Jesus, is, oh, Jesus, I, all I can do is I hide under your prevailing blood. Forgive me. I, I lived a defeated Christian life, and uh, I didn't follow you as I should have. You know, I'm just a sinner. Forgive me. Well, in that day, it's not going to matter how much you appeal to the blood. That's not the question. The fact that you are under the covering of the blood of Christ, that's what enables you to stand before the judgment seat of Christ rather than the great white throne judgment. I think I said that before. So when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, it's not a question of your sins. It's a question of your service, and it's a question of your soul. And it doesn't matter how much you appeal to the blood, just as the leaven eater here, it doesn't matter how much he might have appealed to the blood of the Passover lamb. He still got cut off from the children of Israel. So the type here, uh, again, very, very much consistent with the thought of the New Testament that those believers who are defeated will not enter into the millennial reign of Christ. And I like what Panton says here about this record in Exodus chapter 12. The Israelite under the blood who refused or neglected to expel the leaven was cut off, not, it is true, in Egypt, nor was he cut off by the angel, nor was he cut off from God, but from Israel. No appeal to the blood will deliver the leaven eater from his judgment. That's how he applies it to the New Testament believer. Very, very sobering word, again, showing us that if we do not 
deal with the sin and the corruption in our life in a serious way, we will have to answer to that for the Lord, even though we are covered by the blood and even though our eternal destiny is secured, we will still face a discipline of a greater or lesser extent when we go to see the Lord. Very, very serious word. So that will do it for this episode of the podcast, and I hope it can serve as something of a guide for your own study of the Bible. I'd encourage you to look up the, the Bible references that I mentioned in this episode, and I'll link to those in the program notes below, uh, especially, of course, this type of the children of Israel running the race. Really consider that before the Lord and what that parable, that type rather, really signifies about the Christian life and why the Apostle Paul uses that type as he does. I think you'll be very much helped if you do that. And then in an upcoming program, we will also go on to consider the parables in the New Testament that relate to this matter. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. For more resources, you can visit thechristianfaith.org, which is my website. If you'd like to receive my e-letter, just click on the subscribe link there and enter your email address. And to connect with us by email, just send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Until next time, may the Lord keep you in his way for his sake and his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.